Hello and welcome to Pediapod for June 2019. This month, how machine learning can help early prediction of neonatal hyperbilirubinemia. Almost 10% of newborn infants develop significant hyperbilirubinemia and require phototherapy treatment. This treatment is costly and comes with the risk of increased likelihood of allergic diseases. However, the costs of not treating neonatal jaundice can be more severe, as it can cause lifelong disability. So precise patient monitoring and deliberate treatment assignment are essential for at-risk neonates. Sven Wellman, during his time at the University of Basel's Children's Hospital in Switzerland, along with his colleagues, drew on the predictive power of machine learning methods to identify neonates at risk of developing clinically relevant hyperbilirubinemia. Whilst the resulting online tool is tailored to that Swiss population, it shows promise for future tools to be developed across the world. Here's Sven. Neonatal jaundice is quite normal. The majority of babies turn yellow after birth for a couple of days. This is a normal part of their transition at birth from the in utero to the extra utero life. And after one week or sometimes 10 days, the bilirubin levels decrease and the jaundice disappears. But for a proportion of those children, a more severe situation develops in the form of hyperbilirubinemia. Exactly. There are some certain limits identified more than 20 years ago. And once the upper limits are exceeded, then it's called hyperbilirubinemia and, or jaundice. So you can exchange the two names. Tell me about the current treatment then, phototherapy. How does this work? This is a blue light. You can use also bright light, but the blue part of the light is changing the bilirubin under the skin towards water-soluble conformation. And then this bilirubin goes, passes the kidney and goes out. This treatment works very well. It takes hours. So usually you protect the eyes and place the baby under the lamp and you can increase the brightness and then you treat usually for 12 hours or even 24 hours the baby and thereby decreases the bilirubin levels. So we have a treatment that works. What are the downsides to phototherapy? Phototherapy in general is believed to be safe, but there are some buts. (laughs) So on the one hand, it distracts the baby from the mother. It means you have to place the baby really under this lamp. This can complicate and interfere with breastfeeding, for example, and other things. There's also a molecular issue. There can be some uh, changes in the DNA, and this is shown there's some DNA damage. When you can measure the lymphocytes in the blood, there is documented DNA damage in circulating lymphocytes due to phototherapy. Now, you've recently published a paper in Pediatric Research in which you describe an online tool with a machine learning component to aid the clinical decision-making. Can you explain the rationale behind this? In daily practice, you really daily have the situation at day two or three after life. You send the baby home and then you give advice Is there a next control for the bilirubin needed, yes or no, and when? And this is based on normograms. And these normograms are 
worldwide in use. But based on these normograms, you cannot give a forecast, an exact forecast, when exactly the bilirubin might get critically high or is this a baby resolving from the increase and coming down again and there's no test needed. There are many factors we know that impact the course of bilirubin, but all these factors are so difficult to take in account. And this prompted us to take a large data set we have collected in the past years to analyze this together with uh, mathematicians to see whether with artificial intelligence we can take out the best from this data set to develop a tool which eventually can help us to guide us in uh, clinical decision making. So you trained this algorithm then on old clinical data to decide whether the individual patient would get phototherapy within 48 hours or not. Precisely how well did the tool perform? Well, this is summarized in the rock curve. You can do this probability AUC area under the curve. And so it's 95 what we presented. And we can increase this. This is very recent results with a data set from the Mediterranean area and China. When putting this all together, the prediction is even better with numbers uh, exceeding the 98. And this is really very good. So presumably then this tool can make predictions about clinically relevant hyperbilirubinemia much quicker than a doctor. Can you see this being applicable anytime soon in a clinical setting? Of course. And this is really the vision that by this decision tool, we support the doctors to come faster to a decision, but also to come to a more validated decision and to a more profound by incorporating a large variability of of features. Not only looking on the bilirubin and on the body weight, for example, but also accounting on, on other variables we identify to be important for the prediction. What did you learn about the different weights of those variables? Were there surprises about which factors were the most important for making the best predictions? Yes. We started with a large data set um, comprising almost 50 different variables. And uh, not surprisingly, bilirubin is about uh, the top five or top ten, but also some others which we already knew to be important for the kinetic and for the dynamic of this bilirubin course. But the difference to to what we know until now is uh, that the combination makes a difference. So how you combine in this algorithm these different factors. Just by using four or five of these factors, we have a very good prediction. And it's not needed to include all the 50 uh, parameters with five always available parameters, we can uh, come up with a very good prediction. Now, this tool was developed using data from Basel, and therefore, as it currently stands, it probably wouldn't be suited to different populations. How can that be achieved? That's right. So with the present tool, as we published it, we are somehow limited to to the population in Basel, in northwestern Switzerland. There's a mixture of of races for sure, but it's somehow limited. But we expanded to China and to the Mediterranean, to Greece, and tested the algorithm there. 
we had to adjust a little bit, but at the end of the day, we came up with uh, very similar findings and with even a better probability in predicting because of including much more patients now. So in principle, this algorithm, this advanced tool can work worldwide. What would your advice be then for people hearing this and wanting to develop a tool for their local population? Everyone can develop a new tool. So this is not a secret. So you can apply machine learning on your own data set. But you must be somehow cautious to really use machine learning in the hands of mathematicians, of those who are really experts in the field. Otherwise, you may overlook something and at the very end when you have the tool you have a problem. That was Sven Wellman who conducted this work during his time at Basel's Children's Hospital who I believe he's still affiliated with. He's now the medical director at the University Hospital in Regensburg, Germany. For details of the online tool please see the paediatric research paper. And that's it for this episode. Join us again next month for the next edition of Pediapod. I'm Jeff Marsh. Thanks for listening.